Hello everyone and welcome to New Hope Community Church at Easter 2021. The question for this morning is, why did Jesus have to die? I mean, why couldn't God do what every one of us do every day of our lives? And look at the people who've hurt us or offended us and just say, I forgive you and just move on. I mean, I forgive people all the time and you forgive. And I don't have to die to forgive them, right? Now, some people have hurt you deeply. And you've grieved, and actually some of you have even gone to counselling. And at the end of that process, you say, yep, that person hurt me. Maybe they robbed you of your reputation or of your first marriage or even have prevented access to your child. But at the end of it all, you've come to the conclusion, I've got to let it go and I've got to forgive, especially if I want to have an ongoing relationship with that person. Now, all of us that are listening to this, currently have relationships with people that have hurt us deeply because we've learned how to forgive. Now, as a younger Christian, this question used to plague my mind and it ran through my mind. And my simplistic answer was way back then, well, Jesus had to die for our sins. We ask Jesus in our hearts and I get to go to heaven. But if you and I are going to answer our friends and family And our own questions more deeply. We need to look far deeper into this to have a good answer. In other words, what kind of God would come up with a system that would require his son to die? And that's what happened on Good Friday. That's what we commemorate. That's what we celebrate. In other words, if he's God and he can do anything he wants to, he can change the rules, right? And effectively have an all-skate You know, uh, in the days of the primary school, they'd be in the pool and then somebody misbehaves, the whistle will blow, you'd be out. And by the time a bit of time had gone by, quite a few kids would be at the pool. I was one of those that was out of the pool. And then the the teacher would blow the whistle and say, all back in now, everybody's forgiven. Why can't God do the same type of thing? In other words, why can't God, who created us, just forgive? That's it. Because people forgive all the time, right? Now, I heard about a midwife who came to deliver a baby and unfortunately she'd imbibed too much alcohol and actually didn't handle the baby correctly and actually dropped the baby on its head and it ended up with catastrophic brain damage. Now, in spite of the grief, in spite of the tremendous loss that those parents felt, you know what they did? They forgave that midwife. So if humanly a person can forgive that kind of egregious sin, why can't God just say, I forgive you? So the question for today, and if you want to pick up the outline on your notes, now's a good time to do that. Why did Jesus have to die for our sins? If you're here today, and you are first category, not a Christian, and you may have even heard that Jesus died for your sins, today we're going to try and open up that question and look a little deeper into that question. Or, on the other hand, perhaps you are a Christian and your answer is, well, Jesus died for my sins because I'm a sinner and somebody had to pay. Friends, whichever category you're in, you need to pay close attention because there's more to it than that. And as a Christian, you need to be able to explain this clearly. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 3. And it's a very important passage of Scripture. And it contains a popular passage of scripture that it's sandwiched between some very serious theological thinking. And today I'm going to attempt to clarify this section. 
So we're going to start here and discover the answer to the question, why did Jesus have to die? Why did there have to be a death for sin? Why can't God just forgive, just like you and I forgive? So starting here, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to the Christians in Rome, and he's speaking about the significance of Jesus' death. And it's a great place to start. So if you have your Bibles, if you haven't, they're on the screen here. Romans 3, 21. But now a righteousness from God, that's the source, apart from the law has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The word righteous there means a right standing with God. And this verse says that God has revealed a new way to have a right standing with him. Because up until this time, to have a right standing with God, you had to keep certain rules. And some people are better than that than others. But nobody keeps them perfectly all the time. Actually, every world religion, major one, still teaches that. To be acceptable and to have a right standing in God's sight, you've got to keep a certain set of rules. In fact, some of you may have even grown up in a form of Christianity that taught for you to have a right standing with God, you've got to keep a whole bunch of rules and policies. And Paul says here, right at the get-go, he says, surprise, there's a new approach to that that God has made known. And it doesn't entail keeping a whole bunch of rules. And then he elaborates a little. He says, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law separate to the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. Now, the prophets and the law pointed us to this, which is the gospel. And the gospel is the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets in the Old Testament. Hang with me, verse 22. This righteousness, in other words, right standing with God, comes from God through faith, not performance. This is not a performance plan in Jesus Christ. So this is a brand new way. He says you can have right standing with God. In other words, there's nothing between you and God, no sin in between us, which prevents that relationship. It has nothing to do with your performance, nothing to do with your activity, nothing to do with the law, and it's not dependent, here's the good news, on you. It's through the person of Jesus Christ. So the way you have a right standing with God is through faith in Jesus Christ, not doing but believing. Let's keep going. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. To all, you might want to circle that, who believe, you might want to circle that. There's no difference. In other words, it's not all who perform well, who are at the top end of the grade and the rule keepers, not all who are good, not all who get their act together, but all who believe. So, this righteous standing is from God through faith in Jesus Christ. And it carries on. It says, there is no difference among human beings. Because, why? We've all sinned. None stand there like that. And all fall short of the glory of God. So let me talk about this verse a bit because it sets us up to answer the critical question. The primary question for today is, why did Jesus have to die? Now, when he says, all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. What he's actually saying there is somewhere in your past, you've sinned 
And consequently, in this present time, you are falling short. In other words, we don't measure up. We are missing the mark of God's standards and requirements. Imagine it this way. Imagine that you go into an archery competition. And the rules of the competition were simple. You have to shoot four bullseyes in a row. How many? Four. Not three, but four. Four in a row. One, two, three, four. If you miss the first one, it doesn't matter if you hit the next three or the next five. Doesn't matter. It doesn't make up for the first one that you missed. The standard was you had to get those four bullseyes to meet the test. So that's a picture of sin. Somewhere in our past, we fall short. And consequently, because the standard is perfection, doesn't matter how perfect you are from this point on, there is no way to get back to make up for the fact that you missed the bullseye first time. So because we all miss the bullseye, we fall short of the glory or the splendor or the majesty or the perfection of God. All of us, we're all in the same boat. And then he continues. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here we go. And are justified. Now that's a great word. Just as if I had never sinned. In other words, I've been made righteous, given a right standing with God. And this is a beautiful word, freely. You may want to circle that. Freely, by his grace, something you haven't done, through the redemption, important word, that came by Christ Jesus. Now let me explain that. We've all sinned. We've all missed the mark, but we are justified. We're made righteous freely. It's a gift that gives you right standing with God. And you obtain that because God gives it to you freely. And by his grace, through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. Now, you know what redemption is? It's if you have a gift certificate and you take it somewhere and you redeem it. You know, I'm going to give you the coupon and you are going to give me something in exchange for that coupon. For example, if you have a gift certificate, one of my favorite places is Home Depot. And you go there, maybe you got it for your birthday, and you take it to the store and you redeem it. And you hand it to them, and they give you the gift. Now here's the picture. We get a free gift. But as you know, that gift costs somebody something. At Christmas, or my birthday I've just had recently, the gift is free to me, which I'm receiving it, but it costs the person who gave it to me something. Well, just as God freely gives us a right standing with him, it costs him something. So in order for you to have the free gift of salvation, Jesus had to pay for that. So that means that we are made right with God, freely by his grace, through the payment of the death of Jesus Christ. Romans 3.25, first part, says God presented him, that's Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. That way, God gives us something for free, but it cost him dearly. When Jesus died on the cross, that's the sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. So Jesus died on the cross as a sacrifice for sin, and he paid the price for our sins. Therefore, we are freely forgiven and given the gift, free gift of salvation. Then he uses the word atonement. Do you know what atonement means? The word atonement means to cover something. And in this case, cover our sins through faith in his blood. So what the Bible is saying here is that the blood of Jesus covers our sin. And without him, we are guilty. We deserve eternity apart from God. But the blood of Christ 
covers our sin and serves as a payment for our sin. Now, many of you have heard that before, but we still ask the question, why did the blood of Jesus have to cover my sin? Why couldn't God just say, I forgive you, welcome into my heaven? Why can't I go to God and just say, please forgive me for all of my sins, and he just forgives me? Why did Jesus have to give his blood, and why did he have to die? Here is the answer to the question as to why Jesus had to die. Why did he have to sacrifice his life? This is huge. So listen carefully. Why? He did this to demonstrate, now you could write substantiate or authenticate, his, which is God's justice, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. So the answer to why Jesus had to die is because by his nature, he is absolutely just. And that means when you have pure justice, somebody has to pay. That means when you sin or when somebody falls short, somebody has to pay. See, pure justice doesn't let people off the hook. I mean, I can let people off the hook. You can let people off the hook. But when there is pure justice, somebody has to pay. And God is just. He's perfectly just. That's good news. So God's purpose in Christ's death was to demonstrate his justice. Now, people could say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you are such a just God, why wasn't sin being punished beforehand? And God says there, because of my mercy, I have waited from then till now. But I am just and I am pure justice, so somebody has to pay. So I sent Jesus into the world to pay for your sins, to validate, to substantiate, and to authenticate the fact that I am a just God. And yes, in God's mercy, he could overlook sin for a while. But because God is just, by nature, eventually somebody has to pay. Again, I can just let you off the hook and you can let just people off the hook. And you know why that? And let them go unpunished. You know why that is? Because you and I are not just. But God says, I am just, and that's contrary to my nature. So to validate and to demonstrate that I am a just God, somebody had to pay. So I send my son to pay for sin to authenticate my justice. Now that is absolutely amazing. Because do you know why Jesus died? Because God's just. So do you ever doubt God's justice? If you do, don't look at your circumstances. Look at the cross. Nobody gets off. Your heavenly Father is so committed to justice for wrongs to be paid for, for sin to be dealt with, for debts to be paid, that he sent his son to make sure that all of that was taken care of for us. It gets even better. Romans 3.25b, he did so to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. So up until the time of Christ, no sin had been punished and paid for. He continues 3.26, he did, that's allow Christ to make the payment, to demonstrate his justice at the present time. And this is big. So as to be just and the one who justifies. Who does he justify? Those who have faith in Jesus Christ. 
So notice the imputation of God's righteousness to unrighteous human beings is not automatic. Did you notice that? It's only for everyone who has faith in Jesus. So God says here, I am a God of mercy, I'm a God of justice, and I'm a God of grace. In my mercy, I'll let it go for a while. In my justice, eventually somebody's going to pay. And in my grace, I decided to allow my own son to pay for what you did. Now, the reason he had to die is because your sin and my sin deserves death and separation from a perfect and holy God. Because I'm just, I can't just let it slide and turn a blind eye. You can do that again because you remember, you and I are not perfectly just. But God is justice personified. And somebody has to pay. Then he says, I am just and the justifier. In my justice, somebody had to pay. But because of my grace, I have decided to pay the price myself on your behalf. So Jesus had to die because God is a God of justice. Now, I want to sum this up clearly to give you three clear statements to clarify this. Why did Jesus die? Number one, in his mercy, he delayed payment. Because remember, for years, sin wasn't punished. Number two, he died because of his justice. Justice demanded payment. Somebody had to pay. And thirdly, because of his grace, he made the payment. Now that is profound. Here's one more tough question, though if we're going to be intellectually honest. So, hold on. Are you telling me that my sin is so bad that it deserves eternal separation from God, death? Separation from the source of all life? Are you telling me that my sin earns me eternal separation from God, i.e. hell? How then is that? When pretty much most of the sins that I've ever committed have already been forgiven by those who I hurt would have gone to them and said, look, I'm really sorry. I was only thinking of myself. Please forgive me. And most of them have forgiven me. Now, my sins were not even bad enough to be put in jail in a human system. So how in the world can my sin earn me eternal death, eternal separation from the source of all life? How does that work? Now, you need to be able to answer that question. You may say, well, granted, I've ticked God off. But do you mean to tell me that I've sinned so badly that someone must die for my sin when most people that I've confessed to simply said, yeah, okay, I forgive you. Here's the deal, and we often miss this. Here's the thing that separates our worldview and belief system, and that's this. Uh, we have a tremendous inability to grasp the holiness of God the purity and the magnificence of God that leads us to this. We underestimate the significance of our sin. We underestimate the significance of our sin. So when I look at the significance of my sin, and the, what I do is I actually look at it in the context of your sins. Now, I might be right in the middle or slightly toward the good compared to maybe you. Or I might be towards the bad if I compare myself towards, I don't know, Billy Graham or Mother Teresa. But from God's point of view, he doesn't look at my sin in the context of your sin. He looks at my sin in the context of his holiness. Now, as you read the Bible, it becomes clear. 
my sin, when it's contrasted against the backdrop of God's holiness and purity, is the kind of sin that earns for me eternal separation. You say, how come? I don't understand that. Well, I remember in California taking my family hiking in the redwoods and we drove maybe three hours out to this beautiful spot and we all went to my fellow pastor's Ron's prized brand new pristine v-dub and it looked like you could have a shave and it was so polished when we arrived at the destination uh, the guys were all itchy because you know they've been stuck in a car for a while and they wanted to jump out and burn off some energy so the first thing they did is they went towards the big dip just in front of us and they picked up some stones and started hurling them off now any of you know my boys they've got some strong arms on them now in the back, Ron and I were putting on our packs, getting our water bottles ready. And I said, hey, you guys, cut it out. No more throwing stones. Somebody's going to get hurt. And of course, what they said, oh, last one, Dad, last one. Well, unfortunately, the last throw, next minute, it sounded like a bomb was going off. As Ron and I hit the deck and some stone went screeching across a perfectly polished bonnet, taking a chunk out of the windscreen and nearly taking Ron and I out. Well, when Ron and I stood up into the recovery position, we saw a huge dent in the bonnet, a chunk out of the whip screen, uh, out of the windscreen. And my youngest son is looking stunned, to say the least. He's looking at me. Now, I ask you, is it possible for me at that moment to communicate to a five-year-old the real significance and the implications of what he'd done? Absolutely not. You know, Joshua, this is going to cost $400 and then probably another 1000 on top of that. I've got to deal with insurance companies and then we're going to get a rental car for Ron. Not to mention our franchise is probably wrecked and the insurance on him is going to be going up. You know, do you understand what you've done? Do you think he'd be able to answer that in the affirmative? No, of course not. Could he do anything about that? Absolutely not. Does it make any sense to me to say to him, and you are going to pay the full premium? Not of course. He didn't get any pocket money. He had no money. How could he come up with that sort of money? So you know what I had to do? I said, Josh, please don't throw stones at cars or anything again. That's all I could do. And you know what he said? Yes, Daddy. And then he came up and he gave me a hug. We think about our sin a bit like that. All I did was a scratch, a bit of a car. And God is going, how can I even illustrate? How can I even explain to you? They can't know. The best thing I can do is say, don't do that anymore. And I'm, I'm not going to ask you to pay. You can't. You know what it's like? It's like we are red men living in a red world. And everything we see all around us is red. Just different shades. And if you're really good, it's a light red. And if you're really bad, it's a dark red. But it's all just red. And so how do you explain our beautiful world of colour, a variegated colour, to a person who lives in a red type of world? It's hard to explain. In the Bible, I want to give you a quick example of three good men who are exposed to just a glimpse of God's glory. And you know what they did? They all fell face down and they couldn't even look up.
Here's the first example. Isaiah, from Isaiah 6.5. Woe is me, I cried. I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now I'm thinking, uh, Isaiah, you don't seem to be the obvious candidate for an unclean man with unclean lips because you got to write at least one enormous book of the Bible called Isaiah. And you got to prophesy about the coming Messiah. You, an unclean man? But he says, in light of what I just saw, I am an unclean man with unclean lips. Big contrast. Take another one, Moses. Moses witnessed a little piece of God's glory passing by as he hid in the rock, lest it kill him. And then John, this is a classic. John, the fishing buddy of Jesus, who walked along the road in closeness and togetherness. They knew each other very well, the beloved disciple, when Jesus was clothed in flesh. But at the end of his life, on the Isle of Patmos, John has a revelation of the unveiled Christ in his glory. And Jesus shows up in his glory, and John is flat out, face down on the ground. Notice the difference. Revelation 117, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his hand on me, saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. See, this same John now wasn't seeing Jesus with a robe and sandals and a beard when he's wrapped in flesh, clothed in flesh. He's seeing Jesus in all of his glory. Friends, sometimes you see my little sin that I think I shouldn't have to die for because we live in a red world and I'm a red person and I just know shades of red. But this is how God sees it. He sees it, our sin, as a stark contrast, black from white. John and Moses and Isaiah saw themselves the incredible contrast from God's holiness and perfection to our sin. Now that is incredible. So because of his mercy, he lets it go for a while. Because of his justice, somebody's got to pay. Now, it doesn't seem like a big deal to you. It seems like a a little dent and a scratch in a bonnet and a chip out of a windscreen to a five-year-old, but somebody has to pay. Because of his grace, though, he's willing to pay the price for you and I, and that's the good news. Now, some of you have not received the free gift of salvation, and I'm not trying to scare you, but let me say this. The next time he is coming back, he's not going to be coming back as a saviour. Next time he comes back, he's not coming in mercy. He's not coming in grace. The next time Jesus comes back to earth, he'll be coming as a judge. Why would he come as a judge? Because God is a God of justice. And everyone has to give an account for their life. So if you're a Christian and you have received the free gift of salvation, when it comes to your time to be judged, well, if you've trusted Jesus to pay for your sins, You don't have to pay for your sins because God's grace has already paid for that in Jesus. Jesus already paid for your sins if you accept that gift of forgiveness. But if you're not a Christian and you haven't received the free gift of salvation, here's the news, friends. He won't force it on you. That's your free choice. It's kind of like I get the certificate. I get to choose whether I'm going to go and cash it in or not. So if you have not trusted Jesus to pay for your sins, then you get to pay for your sins. 
but you're like Joshua. You're bankrupt and you can't pay. There's just not enough to pay. It's impossible. So one of the purposes of the church is to make the good news of the gospel available to you. Because we want you to see yourself in need of a saviour and to receive his gift, free gift of salvation from a God who in his mercy has been patient with you in the past. But a God in his justice demands payment from you. But also a God in his grace is willing to make the payment for you if you'll receive it and accept it. So today, I want to give you a chance to do that. And if you've been thinking about this for several weeks, and you're listening to this online, maybe you're ready to do this. Those of you who have never become a Christian before, to accept the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. So this prayer is a way of saying to God, God, I believe that Jesus is the Saviour, and I accept him as my Saviour. Thank you for that free gift. Now, I'm going to give you some words, but you can use your own words. I would like for you now to bow, and if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, here's the perfect opportunity to follow me in this prayer. You can pray it aloud or in your mind, or just use your own words and say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe in your mercy. You have been patient with me. I believe that someone has to pay for my sin. And I believe that I can't be good enough to pay for my sin. I believe that Jesus has already paid for my sin. So right now, I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord. And I repent of all of my sins. I accept him as the payment for my sins. And I'm going to put all of my trust in what he did. I'm no longer going to trust what I can do. Thank you for receiving me into your family. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. And Heavenly Father, thank you for making it so clear. The word pictures of your mercy and your justice. And most of all, of the grace of your unmerited favor. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Friends, today, if you have made that decision to accept God's free gift paid for by Jesus Christ, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email to info at newhope.net.nz. God bless you, and we'll send you some information to help you along your journey. Have a great week.